From the founders of Mod Racing and the Northwest Rally Association, this is the Motorsports and Driver Development Show. My name is Katie Lobkovich, and together with Keto Bromeyer, who is my partner in life and business, we have built the fastest growing rally program in the U.S. Through our work, we get to meet incredible people, and this show is all about bringing those people to you. Whether you are curious about what it takes to start racing, or you want to get advice from the best on how to improve, each episode will have something for you. Today we are talking to Cash Singh, who is the Enthusiast Marketing Manager for Ford Performance. Cash has found a job that just embodies his life's passion of bringing people together through a love for cars and motorsports. You can hear in everything we talk about that he truly believes in and loves his work. In this episode, we talk about a whole bunch of things. A decade of racing Pikes Peak, advice on sponsorships, using your platform to grow your sport and make it more inclusive, the importance of relationships, and even his small role on The Fast and the Furious. And I completely botched his intro in the recording. He has a super long professional title and it just completely threw me off. So just ignore me. You're here for him anyway. Thank you for tuning in today and always. You can follow along with our race series on Instagram or Facebook at Mod Racing, or you can find us online at modracing.com. Now let's go hear from Cash. Welcome to the Motorsports and Driver Development Show. I'm Katie. And I'm Keto. And today we are joined with Cash Singh, who is the Ford Performance Enthusiast Marketing Manager, but he's also a big hill climb, hill climb guy and all around enthusiast, enthusiast extraordinaire. I'm just going to keep botching, botching the intro, but we're going with it. Welcome. No, thank you for having me. Okay, we're going to take it way back. Please tell us how you got into cars, because it seems like you kind of like them a little bit. Kind of like them a little bit, yep. Uh, actually, wasn't born with it, uh, was ingrained into it uh, via a cousin. Uh, back in about junior high, you know, uh, I think it was eighth or ninth grade, went to a car show, and uh, without giving away my age, uh, this is the days of having Countaches on your wall. So we were at a car show, and there was a bright candy red Countach, and that was it. Fell, fell in love uh, with cars and kind of that whole sport. Uh, being in the industry and uh, wanted to see how I could develop. I mean, I was basically going to be a scientist, geologist or something in college. You know, that's what I was aiming for. And then it was uh, business. Watched Pretty Woman, of all things. Saw Richard Gere driving that Lotus. Huh, maybe that's how I can get the cars that I would want in the future. So changed the major and proceeded to uh, get into cars. So you studied business so you could get into cars? So it's, it's even worse. I, I have a degree in economics. Perfect. Okay. Never used one ounce of my degree when it comes to race cars, because what, what is the old saying? If you want to start, if you want to make a small fortune in racing, you start with the large fortune. Right. So that is, um, yeah, supply, demand, and everything else I could with economics, threw it out the window, and just poured money into all my bills. Oh, okay. That's so funny. And so just to be clear, Richard Gere's job was to, in Pretty Woman, was to buy companies, chop them up into little pieces and resell them. That is not what you do for Ford, I assume? That is not what I do. Tell us uh, Cool, but uh, so basically I'm the enthusiast marketing manager for Ford Performance. We've got a line of Ford Performance vehicles, anything from the Ford Explorer ST up to the Shelby GT500 and the Ford GT. My uh, primary responsibility is centered around uh, making sure we can bridge that, um, that gap between our enthusiast space and the products we offer, and how do then do we take that enthusiast knowledge and know how most, most of your friends in our cars tend to be those that help you out when you have a need or question on cars. How do we then help uh, 
those folks uh, basically be consumer advocates for Ford, especially if they like Ford vehicles. So did your background in cars, um, you know, going to car shows and stuff, did that um, play into, into this a lot? It, it did, because, uh, you know, you spend the later teenage years, I grew up in Southern California, it was all about kind of the sport compact, the, the, the import market there. Uh, Fast and Furious is what they started to call it afterwards. But I did a lot of car shows, did a lot of builds. Um, you know, SEMA is a big specialty uh, show for us. Uh, and I used to build cars for SEMA. I've worked with various sponsors. And with this job, it actually makes it easier because it's, it's getting paid to do what I really love to do. And that's interacting with consumers, building cars, or uh, playing with fancy cars or performance vehicles in this case. So probably a lot of our listeners don't know um, about your past in Southern California. Um, they don't know about um, all the features on magazines, the Fast and the Furious um, uh, movies being in it with your cars. So why don't you give us a little bit of background about that so people know, you know who, they're, who they're listening to. Sure. Uh, 1996, bought my first car, saved up all the money I could. Uh, and of all things, purchased uh, a competitive vehicle, a Honda, and then started modifying it in that, in that sense of what was going on in Southern California at the time. You lower the cars, put the big mufflers on them, make them loud. And that evolved into creating a couple of cars that did become um, show winners, uh, which show up uh, and take a trophy here and there. One year, my best year, I think, was about 20 trophies after I modified this Accord to the point where we're running 18 by 13 inch wheels all the way around. Mm. Um, and it kind of it kind of changed the industry in the sense of wide body and so on. You've got a lot of folks now that are doing wide body kits, but I've, you know, the running joke is cash. If he gets a car, he'll wide body it from my old Hondas to my new high speed race cars are all wide body. Um, but at the same time, when Fast and the Fierce was starting off, they would come to the car shows and recruit extras. They wanted cars and they also wanted us to fill in for extras. And when you're in college and they're offering you $12 an hour when minimum wage at the time was around seven eight dollars i believe uh you sign up really quick because you get to spend 12 hours with your car friends driving around getting free gas that the movie company was providing oh <laughs> uh, you could see how magic is made um you know now now i sit back and i see what the extras do in the movie and it's kind of funny to watch oh that guy got paid oh that guy didn't get paid because of what we did um on scene and it was interesting you know we what fast and fierce has become we didn't expect it to be because you had true hardcore car guys at the time, listening to, you know, Vin Diesel and Paul Walker, you know, conversate, it's kind of like, oh, that doesn't make sense. But, oh, well, this is kind of cool. Free gas, free food, I'm here. Mm. And that kind of evolved into just a, a couple of things. I, I uh, you know, you take that and how do you translate that into the career that I'm working on this degree in? Uh, Ford, um, Ford was recruiting on campus. Uh, I, went to, I was lucky enough, fortunate enough to go to USC. I walked into the recruiter there. I'm in shorts, fifth flops. It's Southern California, you know. I'm wearing, and I just walk up. And I'm like, "Hey, um, I like to get in Ford racing." And the guy looked at me, went back and forth, asked me what my major was, told him economics. He hands me his card. He's like, "You should come work for me, Ford Credit." And I was like, "Ooh, finance!" And I, you know, kind of life flashed between my eyes. Like, am I going to be sitting in a cubicle? Mm. And I do sit in a cubicle now but I get to crunch numbers for budgets for car shows and events that I really want to do. Mm. But really, um, you know, the early years kind of helped me mold into the passion that I have now and what I'm able to do with Ford. Mm. And so how did that develop into uh, racing, specifically hill climbs? 
Um, that's, that's another one of those crazy impromptu things. I was doing a lot of car sales, building a lot of cars. Uh, and, you know, drag racing was kind of where the scene was at in Southern California. Every once in a while, somebody would talk about tracking their cars or doing kind of a, a, a SCCA or NASA type event in a parking lot somewhere. A friend of mine was getting into it. I didn't have the time. Then I got hired by Ford. And Monday through Friday, I spent on the road. Um, at the time in 04, when I got hired in, I was uh, a, a dealer rep. So I'd visit the Ford dealers, work with the Ford dealer network, uh, kind of the company interface. And I'm sitting in San Antonio, um, kind of 2007, 2008, I want to say, and watching Modern Marvels. Uh, and they were talking about uh, as the Modern Marvel on the History Channel and Pike's Peak pops up. So I sat there and was like, hmm, kind of interesting to go race Pike's Peak before they fully pave it at 2010. Walked into my boss's office, who happened to be at the time uh, from Colorado, grew up with Pike's Peak and his father and some friends have raced it. So he's like, you want to do what? And I'm like, I'd like to go race Pike's Peak. He's like, you know, normally people start here, you're kind of here. Mm -hmm. um, and at the time it, it was the pinnacle of hill climbs in the world. It still is to a certain degree and it's extremely dangerous. So he's like, uh, you should go check it out. So I expected it for about three years and then finally built the car and raced it in 2011 uh, was my first year. Didn't make it to the top. Um, about three quarters of the way up, ended up overheating, completely dumped all the fluids, sat on the side of the road, safety crew came and got me. And you know, you're sitting there the whole day, just kind of gutted that you didn't make it to the top or turn around. I can see literally the finish line, the top of the mountain. And uh, it just, uh, you know, you sit there and you're like, all right, I'm coming back next year. Like it's, it's a thing. It's now it's, in, it's, you know, it's in me, but I want to come back and at least conquer this aspect of it. But one of the things about Pikes Peak that makes it special, and I know we're getting a little off topic, but it's if you race Pikes Peak, after the races, the event is finished, we drive down and we high five all the fans. They line up on the side of the road. And I, as a fan, have high five racers as a spectator. I wanted to make sure I was able to make that part. So I'm safety cruiser, and we're looking to see if we can put some water in the car to see if it'll start up. Um, couldn't find any water. Uh, then looked over, and one of the guys yells out, hey, there's a pond here. And I was like, all right. So I grab a bucket, a coffee mug from one of the safety guys, trudge along at 13,000 feet, you know, literally breathing like an elephant huffing and puffing here and there, and yeah. fill up pond water into the race car, start it up. And this is a 2008 Shell GT 500. And it was fine. It wasn't milky and milky was the sign of, you know, we warped ahead or something and this thing was fine. And as the drivers came down, I followed in suit, got the high five, you know, tears, just holding back tears and so on. Uh, my father was up there, um, you know, it, he, he was worried because uh, they couldn't, you know, they weren't sure where I was at. And uh, I can say after I'm going to have to come back next year. Obviously my parents didn't want me coming back because this is a, it's, it's a dangerous race, but uh, then we showed up in 2012 and everything works well and uh, we're beyond where we're at now in society. We can run uh, the next race this year. This will be my 10th year race. Wow. That's awesome. Have you finished every year besides the first? No, see, that would be easy. So out of the years, out of the nine years I've raced it, I've made it to the top three times. Uh, we've had multiple years where due to weather, the mm -hmm. race was uh, ended at the halfway mark. Mm -hmm. um, so I technically, the first year I overheated and that was mechanical. 
And then the previous years that I have not made it up uh, had more to do with weather and the closure of the race. Uh, unfortunately, uh, qualifying, we've had some we've had some hurdles during qualifying and so on. This is, you know, you start at 9,000 feet, run up to 14,000. Cars, fluids tend to do a lot of different things than we would normally at sea level. Um, I live in Seattle currently, and we're at sea level. We tune at sea level, and we need to do a little bit more work on the mountain. Um, but the hope is uh, this year is the 10th year and we, we make it to the top. That's awesome. We don't, we don't talk to a lot, well, we don't talk to a lot of hill climb people, but I think there are a lot of good lessons that you can share between hill climb and rally. I'd love to hear sort of key things, even just like one thing that you've learned from doing hill climb in terms of like, what do you need to do to prepare? What do you wish you had known when you first started out? Um, you know, the, the commonality between, I think, all forms of uh, racing is seat time. Mm. Uh, if you can get seat time, um, and that's where I'm at a, a deficit or that's, I don't, because of the career, I don't get a lot of seat time. And then there's a lot of things that happen in my life that uh, the struggles of putting a car together. Mm. And uh, two years ago, we blew the motor two weeks before the race. Oh. There's no seat time. This this latest car that we've built, it's a 2017 Mustang GT twin turbo. Uh, we're around a thousand horsepower. Uh, putting that, I mean, it's great to say that's a huge number. It's I can I can probably tune up to fourteen hundred, but we want to be reliable. We want to make it to the top, get the power down right, and I need to get uh, a little bit more seat time in the car. And going fast is great, but you know you can probably think about braking is a huge huge part of racing. Uh, the line is if you're smooth, you're fast, and I need to build confidence at least in this new car. So if you were to build a car and you decide to go racing. You don't necessarily need to build the highest horsepower thing there is. Um, you know, most racers will say if you can make a slow car go fast, you're probably doing a pretty good job. Um, and you can see some of the guys in Spec Miata, and you know, those guys are fantastic drivers, and you know, they're running with under 200 horsepower, but they're putting down some great lap times, and in some cases, they're hanging with the big, big horsepower cars because they've been able to master their vehicle and they've put a lot of seat time, and so. Anybody that's looking to get in the sport, seat time is where it starts. You don't have to build the fastest thing. Just uh, get comfortable with the car you're in. That's such good advice. Um, speaking of you and seat time, though, don't you drive to all of your events? Yeah, that's the, uh, see, see, I think rally races are nuts. <laughs> going that fast in force and uh, so on. And then most people think hill climbers are nuts, especially those that race bike speed. And yeah. then the nut that decides he's going to drive his race car to every race he goes to. Um, first year, I drove from, I lived in Dallas, and I drove, uh, technically it's about 11 and a half hours from Dallas to Colorado Springs, did that. And then uh, I moved to Detroit, that's an 18-hour drive, and from Seattle, it's a 22-hour drive. Uh, we've had some fantastic stories. Um, Harrod Magazine covered us one year because they heard that we do what? And yeah, technically I'll drive down and granted I call it seat time, but I feel like your butt really takes, it, it gets, there's a toll on the body after you've been sitting in a race car for, you know, 10 hours straight driving. Um, but if you look online, there's amazing pictures of the vehicle uh, sitting at the salt flats. We got to take it out to the salt flats. I've done many of road trips with it. One year I did the 18 hour drive from Detroit, did the race for a week and then put 6,000 miles in the car afterwards, took a week uh, to get back home to Detroit. But from Colorado, I headed straight to the Salt Flats and then headed north into Grand Teton, into Yellowstone, 
then Glacier National Park, and then swung around, headed back east, uh, went through the Badlands, um, Mount Rushmore, and before you know it, 6,000 miles after, I'm back in Detroit. It was 10 to 12 hours worth of driving every day in a race car that's hot and sweaty, and but I do keep AC in my race cars. <laughs> right. That's smart. So do you do any other kind of racing or have you, like you spoke about earlier in uh, Southern California, how drag racing was big, did you do that? Did you do any autocross, anything else? Uh, so now what I'm trying to get into now is I've done a couple of time attack events Okay. Um, with uh, the Grid Life series. Um, and I, I think that's, that's kind of fun. It's just testing your skill against the track you're at. Um, so once again, timing, it's, it's just all about timing and how much time you have uh, where you pause a career to go do some racing. Because as you know, a weekend isn't just a Saturday of racing. It, you know, you've got a prep, you've got a week of prep or at least a couple of days before the event. And then you do the event and then you have to get home after the event. Um, so there's some time into it. So uh, mostly Pikes Peak has been my um, main focus. And then where I can fit in other events and kiddo, you and I met at uh, Mary's Hill. Uh, the race uh, in Washington. Um, so wherever I can fit something in, it would be great. The you know this area actually has a great uh, the Northwest Hill Climb Association. They do a great job of putting some events on. Um, I'm moving now with this new job. I'm moving back to Detroit, which will put me in the Midwest. And technically, as I told my bosses, I was being recruited. Hey, these some events we're going to be at because I'm going to race there anyway. So. This could be, you know, comp days and we can work this out because those are things, you know, you factor into your time that you're away from home and your career. So I'm hoping to get more events um, post-COVID um, and then at least 2021, uh, we'll see what the landscape looks like for events. Yeah, suddenly we're going to see a huge Ford presence at all the hill climbs. It's going to be like, wow. <laughs> 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 um, you talked about your job juggling your career with a prep for an event. Well, not necessarily for Pikes Peak, because I'm sure that's a much bigger setup. But when you're going to an event like Mary Hill, where it's not super far, but you still have all the prep, how do you juggle that? What's your strategy for getting everything you need to done prior to leaving for the event? Well, you know, prep, could, prep for people could start a couple of days before the event or weeks. Um, what I've been looking with, and, and this is, the other thing that makes this interesting is when I first started racing, it was just kind of a man of one. And a lot of us do that. Uh, I started this, this might be the plug, but I started off with the platform with the 2008 GT500. Um, initially, it wasn't going to be my race car. Uh, I bought a Ford Focus and I was going to turn to a rally car and actually enter and start doing some rally. And a distracted driver is the best way to put a distracted driver rear ended this Shelby that I had, which I just bought as a weekend car and an investment. Well, when she rear-ended it, there went the investment, and then for about five grand, I could build a pretty high horsepower race car uh, that I could take to, and this is, everyone's like, oh, that's insane that you're doing this, but it's all, you know, planning it out for prep. If anything goes wrong with the car, I can take it to any Ford dealer and they can work on it. Mm -hmm. So my race team or my pit crew was technically at the time close to 4,000 Ford dealers spread across the nation. <laughs> so I could walk in, guys, I need help, uh, pull out the credit card because that's what it takes and I can have any Ford dealer work on the car. And this, and you know, if you start off with a good platform, which any other OE, you can do the same thing. I think some people get lost in, we're going to make everything completely from scratch in the garage. 
Now look at tried and true aftermarket companies that have a good support system in place and your OEs. And some of the OEs do have uh, racing, you know, Mopar, Ford Performance. So we've got Ford racing parts. Chevy does, you know, their, their source. So you can have some factory parts in there. Then they're dealers that can help you out in this case. So with me, it's the prep work. I've gone down to where I can load up my car with the tools I think I'll need. And I've luckily over the years, I've had some great tire sponsors, but I'll drive in the tires I'm going to race their event at. And aside from Pikes Peak, I use those time and testing for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, we can go testing on test and tune days, but then forcing I'm on the road for work. So if I could schedule myself an event, I'll go out and run the event to try to test my car. Uh, and there are folks there that are the fa- you know the they're faster guys and gals. And uh, by all means, uh, for me, it's more of a test session. And if uh, if you can podium, that's even better. But um, it's always. And then the the other part that I'm a deficit when it comes to most of my competitors is I have to drive the car home. So pushing hard and the red mist, you know, when you put on that helmet. Um, last Mary Hill, well, it's actually it's happened a couple of times. My brother was the the voice of sanity for me. I drove my 08 GT500 down to LA two years ago to do a time attack event. And I drove. It's a tired car, and I pulled it out because I don't want to race the new hill climb car we're building. So I, you know, pulled it out. Tires look good. Drove it down. On the way down, my clutch started going out. So 55,000 miles, same clutch, uh, about five races. And uh, we're at the event, and the car steering goes out. So I go into the dirt, come back around, and um, then you're like, well, I still want to put down a good time. And I put on the helmet. My brother's like, we got to drive home. I was like, should we, should we call it? And we called it after the first session. I drove, so let's put it in percent. I drove from Seattle down to LA. That's, that's about 20 hours. Uh, Drove four hours north of where my parents live to go do this event at Button Willow. And then did the first session, broke the car, then drove home. And you're kind of like, oh, then I have to drive that car back. So once again, stopped at a couple of dealers along the way, got the car pieces fixed together on Monday as everyone was open. Um, so, you know, prep work, it, it could, if you've got a trailer and you can tear apart the car and put stuff together, you can take a couple of days or weeks, you know. You said we earlier, much earlier when you were talking like, oh, we're doing this and we're doing that. Is your crew still a dealership in town? No. So the, the interesting thing about racing is, um, and keto, you know, this is an example We're we're friends now. Uh, I assume we're friends now because you called me and said, hey, let's do something. Uh, but motorsports, uh, with a lot of hobbies, it's another sport that brings people together. My first year, I had myself. My dad was at Pike. I'll use Pike speaking example. Uh, was uh, my dad a cousin who was who was actually at my brother's wedding from you know he flew in from Fiji. That's where I'm originally from. So I grabbed him. So that's two of us along with uh, an ex girlfriend. So technically, that was my crew my first year. And then the second year, uh, my brother was going to come because it, it's, it's a week long event. So friends to take that much time off, it's, it's a little hard. I, I, I don't, I'm not uh, financially, I'm not secure enough to pay for a pit crew. Um, so my brother was coming in, but he wasn't going to be at, you know, he was going to come in midweek of the event. So I figured I better make friends with some people here. And when I say we, I've got some, ver- I've built some solid friendships over the last 10 years at Pikes Peak. And I could probably, and it's, it's a thing about racing too. Uh, you can have your immediate pit crew. Um, the current years, I've got uh, a, a genius by the name of Lauren who owns a European auto specialty. And it's kind of interesting that a European auto specialist, uh, a European performance would 
work on a Ford vehicle, right? But he's helped me out. The guy's a genius. Um, I've got a friend, Devin, who's a photographer, and he's been my crew chief uh, for a couple of events. But I can also count on Devin Afro yeah, Devin Afro Thunder, yep. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, it, it's funny. When he and I get together, everyone else is like, who's watching the kids? If you, because we're, we're, I mean, we're all adults, but we don't want to be adults, especially when you're racing, you want to have fun. And the adults are like, well, if, if you're the crew chief and you're the guy racing, oh, heaven help you guys. You know, it's just, it's, uh, but no, it's, uh, you know, you build friendships. So same thing at Mary Hill. If somebody goes down at Mary Hill, we'll run over, we'll help. Uh, we're here to support. End of the day, um, even I think at the high end of uh, the pinnacle of motorsports, um, you still want to see your competitors succeed. You know, wow. obviously you want to beat them if you're racing, but you still want to see your competitors succeed because a race of one really isn't any fun. Right. Yeah, I definitely think an enthusiast would much prefer to beat you on the track than leave you behind in the pits and win that way. There's no. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and. You know, some of the best races, you know, that I've ever had wheel wheel have always been, you know, when you're battling with somebody and, you know, half the time, I don't even remember whether I was first or second, but it was the battle, you know, you know, the moves that I did or, you know, blocked or, you know, they did and like, oh, wow, you can do that, you know, so yeah, I think that's a big part of it for sure. Yeah, I mean, when you're trading times on the track, especially, I mean, even in uh, time attack events, you're not racing a competitor, you're racing the clock, but mm -hmm bunched up in traffic and at the end of the day you get out of the car and you walk oh man almost had you that turn and you're having the same conversation as you would if you're racing nascar f1 it's it's kind of like you, it's that playing on the field that uh, we all enjoy right and the other thing i always notice is the stories people tell about races are rarely actually about the racing specifically it's about something broke and everyone jumped in to help fix it out fix it out fix it um you know that sort of thing uh, on that note i had a question earlier um Pond water. Were there any um, adverse reactions to throwing pond water in your car? <laughs> so, so here, everyone was like, you did what? And I'll paint the picture. I'm 13,000 feet. They snow melt. There's this pond. I, um, there was some spotters. I asked the spotters if they had a rag. They sure did. They gave me a rag. I filtered the water through the rag. But the next morning after the event on, you know, the race was Sunday. And the car, the car, it was insane. There was no fluid in the vehicle. It all steamed out. And, you know, we lost. And I thought I'd warped ahead or I'd actually done some damage to the motor. Fill it up, drive down. Next day I go to the dealership and they drained it. There was some pond scum and they put fluid in. They're like, dude, you're good to go. You can drive back to Dallas now. And I'm like, okay. Um, you know, Pikes, and, and it's, it's true. The, I think at the pinnacle of sports, uh, you'll have guys talk about the wind. But I think the rest of us, um, you know, are here to enjoy, and it's something that we do because it's special to us. We'll talk about the, you know, the, the the car broke here, or you lost control, you almost smacked into this or that. Um, Pike's Peak, the animals seem to love me. Um, various years I've raced up there, I've had deer run in front of me. Um, two years ago, I came around a corner and there were two rams butting heads. Um, we got it on video. It's cool. I screenshot it and saved it on Facebook. Um, it's just, it's just little things, and, and sometimes it's spiritual. You're racing up there. Two years into it, I'm pouring money into this car, and I'm like, all right, I think this is going to be my last year. And then I'm probably the place where you're not supposed to be thinking about this thing. I'm, I'm in the middle section, um, you know, 80, 90 miles an hour, pulling, pulling into a turn that says, you know, left turn 10 miles an hour, and you're like looking. And you, I made the mistake of looking down. I'm doing my 80-something, and I'm coming to this thing, and 
And then I look over to the right, and there's this eagle soaring, and it's sunrise on Pikes Peak. And it's like one of those moments you're like, oh. And then it's like, oh, wait, I got to get back to racing. And, oh, okay, 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 I'm coming back. Um, you know, same thing with Time Attack. It's, I made some great, great friendships on the first event that I did. Uh, so going back to Time Attack events would be great. Um, just would like to have more time to go racing. I guess everybody wants that, that, you know, plays with cars. So what would be your dream race? What would be like, there was one race that you could do, you know, before you die, what, what is it? Well, that, that's like asking a parent, what's their favorite kid? Right, Who, which one is their favorite kid? So, uh, but I am a bucket list racer, right? Uh, I start off at the pinnacle for hill climbs at Pikes Peak, uh, but I would love to take on um, Target New Finland. Mm. Uh, that'd be something to do. That's that's on the list. Um, I did get a chance to go race uh, Canada's oldest hill climb, uh, which is Knox Mountain up in, uh, it's technically about four hours uh, north of Seattle. Um, there is a, a race down in Mexico. Uh, and then uh, possibly Baja. You know, it's, it's just what's the next next cool thing to do? Mm-hmm. You have to be very well supported to race some of those events, especially mm-hmm. where you might go through 10 sets of tires alone. Um, but you know, these are the, a couple of those races. I mean, I could say it'd be awesome to go race Lamar, but to get to that point, you, I mean, that's that investment. I don't have that time or the, the frankly, the money to get there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the one in Mexico, you're talking about San Pedro Martir, that hill climb. Yep. And yep. So, so that one's like in actually on the Baja Peninsula and often runs, um, same time, some of the Baja races run down there. And I'm assuming you're talking about the Baja 1000. Uh, 500 or 1000, whichever one I can get to. Well, 500 was more on last year, right? Yeah. 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 yeah I, was, I was keen on that one too until I found out that you have to wear a catheter to do it. And yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so the pinnacle of off road racing, though, uh, I would say is Dakar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did it Dakar. Mm-hmm. I looked into doing it 10 years ago, and I could sell my current race car. And that would get me the entrance oh. <laughs> logistics, uh, but the car would be an awesome race to do too. It's, you know, it's, it's for most of us, you know, we're all end of the day, we're bucket list racers. We want to race different events around the world. And um, I, I, you know, I talked to a friend, uh, we can't do Dakar, but he's actually from down in South America. And I'm like, well, if you're going to visit your family in Peru, why don't we just rent some cars and just go run the event, the route ourselves. You know, it's, uh, and these are friends that I've made along the way with racing. So it's kind of like jokingly at Pikes Peak, we call ourselves the band of misfits. Uh, we're all the guys that have broken hopes and dreams and we want to succeed in something else. And we get together and have this family time of uh, enjoying each other's company. Mm-hmm. And um, let's go racing or drive all over the world if we can road trip it. Six weeks, uh, or sorry, in a week, I did half the United States. When I took that map and placed it over Europe, I could go see just about every major country in Europe. And then we planned a two-week event in Europe um, that's still on the docket to do at some point if we can ship the race cars over. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be interesting. So earlier you mentioned that at one point you were actually heading down the path of rally. Yeah, I was curious about that. And you sort of got diverted. Any uh, desire to head back down that path? No, I, it's, I've got some friends in Colorado that want me to build a car, leave it there, and run the rally races that they have in kind of the, they've got the, the Colorado Hill Climb Association, but it runs basically similar to rally events. Uh, you're off in uh, lumber, uh, lumber roads or just off uh, other courses, and uh, 
Dave Kern, I don't know if you're familiar with that name, but the Kearns have uh, run events for record holders at Pikes Peak as a husband and wife. Um, and yeah, they, they've, they've bugged me to go in a rally and I still have that fo focus. I forgot what to do with that focus. Uh, so there could be an opportunity to go rally racing, especially with um, in Detroit, we got Snowdrift uh, and there's a couple of events that you can get to closer there. All right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple guys who run, run the focuses. So if you ever, you know, want some how to where you get this, that, the other to rally. See, see, now he just wants me to spend more money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you call him an enabler. I am very much an enabler. But I will yes. say focus crowd in rally. I hope I don't offend anyone might be the most fun crowd. So you might. Hey, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, you mentioned, you mentioned some of your, you mentioned your tire sponsors. I'd love to hear sort of how that came to fruition and how you manage those relationships. Um, also it's, it's, uh, first you gotta ask, if you don't ask, you won't get a yes or no. Mm -hmm. Um, if you do see a vendor, um, and, and throughout my, I guess you could say my, my passion for auto racing and doing car shows, I've had a multitude number of sponsors from the first seat sponsor I had in Cobra seats, uh, then Sparkle seats. And you know, if you're at the right place, the right time, you can change sponsors. Um, I try to stay loyal to the sponsors I have, and I've built some lifelong relationships with some uh, sponsors. And at the end of the day, most of the companies, you know, coming out of that, that sport compact world in the uh, late 90s, early 2000, a lot of us grew up to work in some of these companies. So everybody kind of knows each other. Um, wheel sponsors, I've had a multitude number of wheel sponsors for show cars and my race cars. Currently, I run uh, Forge Stars on the, the car, and I've had a relationship with them based on a friendship with another friend who put us in contact. Um, and then you got to do right by your sponsors. Uh, social media is really huge right now. You got to plug your sponsors where you can um, because they're there to support you. They've given you product. Uh, getting fina financial assistance is very difficult nowadays, and it's going to be even uh, more harder to come by next uh, next couple of years as we reel from the economy doing what it's doing. But you know, usually I go after product sponsorship. If, if a company is willing to give me product for my car, that takes a check off of budget I'll have to spend that I can spend somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So suspension uh, sponsors, uh, H&R Springs is a solid sponsor of mine. They've worked on a couple of vehicles for me now. Mm -hmm. um, I've got RSS, uh, was a race shop in uh, Seattle. When I moved out here, I moved to Seattle in 2015, didn't really know anyone, and I wanted to build a new car since my, I'd taken the platform for the OH Shelby as far as I could, and I still run into some eating issues. So I, I bought an EcoBoost Mustang, uh, 2016, and then uh, kind of quartered a shop in town. We talked, and you know, it's a two-way street. Are you going to do right by the shop, and is the shop going to do right by you? And you got to find the right guys that don't. Uh, you know, and I work a corporate job, so it's one of those things where I don't want to get into the the muck of day-to-day -day operations with shops having issues with customers and so on. And it kind of reflects bad on you. At the same time, you also have to, you know, represent that sponsor well. Uh, so. You know, if you get the opportunity, SEMA is a great place to start. Uh, you can walk up and talk to uh, the marketing managers or sometimes work in the booth there and just ask them, give them, you know, let them know what you're, what you're doing. And at the end of the day, especially now, because I'm on this end and I've helped Ford select SEMA builds. Uh, I've worked with uh, folks that are, you know, oh, I've got an Instagram page and I want to, you know, I, Ford should give me a car. Well, okay, well, what do I get out of it? Uh, well, if you've got 2,000, um, you know, followers, it's, it's really not uh, what's going to make sense. And, you, you know, if you get told no, you just have to look and seeing what you need to do to build your, your portfolio to where you become attractive. Um, and I, I talked about car shows, uh, the 96 Honda Accord that I was building. 
you know, you put money in. I wasn't winning any shows. I took a, a year off, almost a year off, went to all the shows, took notes of what I needed to do be to place, you know, what did I have to do to make my car better than my competitors? And then built the car and came back a year after and started taking all those things. So you have to build that portfolio and do some research. Um, just because you've got fancy paint on the car or you, and I hate to say this, you could be the fastest guy in the field, but if you don't have the personality to support a sponsor in a proper way, you're not going to get the look that somebody who's not the fastest guy, but he's got the personality. And um, end of the day, what I look for, especially when I, I'm an enthusiast marketing manager, and one of the things I love about my job is trying to pass on the passion and the love that I have to the upcoming youth. And then you as a driver, as a sponsored racer, what are you doing for your sponsors? Are you trying to get more people into, one, into the product that they're helping you with, or two, just getting people into their sport in general? Um, you know, demographic-wise, male, female, you know, racing should be open to everyone. There should, I mean, that's, that's what I see when I go racing. And, you know, you know this, one of the fastest uh, people in, in the Northwest here is actually a female. And she's, she's very quick and she's really good, and it's just an awe watching a race. So, um, you know, it's those things, what can you do to your sponsor for that? And that's, you have to talk about that and, um, and just ask the question of what can you, you know, can, can, can I get help? And product is probably the easiest thing to go after first. Yeah, absolutely. And it's good. It's good advice, both doing your research about what other people are doing and what's successful and also just starting with your relationship. You, you usually are going to get more no's than yeses, And especially if you just go in cold, if you start and just ask someone like what they do, what kind of projects they're working on, whatever it might be, you then build up a little rapport. Yeah. And that's how you take it. I definitely think, yeah, relationships are a big deal. Because there's, I mean, there's there's a lot of manufacturers now who <clears throat> want references yeah. before they sponsor you. And so if you don't have a relationship and haven't done done right by your sponsor, you can't go to them and say, hey, by the way, can, can you write me a letter of recommendation? You know, I know I didn't do anything for you, but so, yeah, I think that's a big, big, big part of it. Yeah. Oh, abs absolutely. And it's, you know, you, you don't have to go after the biggest guy because everyone's going after whoever they assume is the biggest person out there, biggest company, biggest uh, whatever, whoever's got the deepest pockets. Mm -hmm. You might have your local shop that can support you with just, you know, my one of my first true sponsors starting off as a guy that tinted the windows on my show car, mm -hmm. hundred bucks. When you're, when you're first year of college and you're kind of scraping together things for your tuition, and somebody comes by and goes, hey, I'll sponsor you with your tint. Awesome, I'll take it. Uh, put his, you know, sticker on the car. And um, he, he supported me. He showed up at the show, helped me clean up my car. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I was an advocate for him because he as a person was somebody great. I, I think what, what gets lost in translation right now, you know, we have a lot of terms and phrases and all these fancy gimmicks. End of the day, it's a golden rule. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you want to treat others? And you want to treat the same way you'd like to get treated. If you treat a sponsor, doesn't matter to what point uh, with utmost gratitude and support them in their business, they'll support you. Mm -hmm. And I've had sponsors that have reached out to me and said, Hey, we've got another company we're partnering with. Would you be interested? Mm -hmm. so some of the relationships you build will lead to other sponsorship opportunities. Mm -hmm. So good. Yeah, um, how often do people actually ask you for a car? <laughs> uh, quite a bit especially when i got into this position it's like wait you're the market manager of ford can i get a car uh sure i i just got announced i haven't moved to detroit yet but i'll get you a car um and you know end of the day the automotive business is very capital intensive mm -hmm. um, 
and there aren't a lot of cars to sit around for us to give, right? It's uh, so one of the best things I do is I'll refer, if you feel strongly that you have a good project basis marketing plan together, uh, we do uh, SEMA cards. Mm. So you SEMA site, SEMA.org, and you can sign up for Ford and submit a proposal mm. and it, it gets vetted. And um, I'm on the selection committee. There's about 20 to 30 of us, depending on what brand and or what vehicle line. And uh, that's one of the easiest ways to get through it. Um, is if you feel you've got that support base, once again, we go back to the sponsorship base uh, to warn a vehicle. Just because we're friends doesn't mean I can give you a car. would love to do that with everyone, but that's not the opportunity I have. If I was like an amazing editor, I would right now insert the clip of Oprah being like, you get a car, you get a car. <laughs> yeah, but I want to sit there and I want to get a car too. <laughs> I, I would love to like get to keep the cars I have in my garage that I take to the shows with me for Ford. I mean, how awesome is I, I, I've, I've, I've done, I've done a lot of good things, met, met a lot of great folks and uh, have some strong friendships and, you know, I help out where I can. Uh, it's, it's just uh, what, what, what seems right and what we can do right by one, the company and the one by the person we're looking at. So speaking of these uh, cars that sit temporarily in your garage, um, have you run across one in particular that you would like to, or have tried to make permanent? <laughs> So I, I, so one of the vehicles in the Ford garage that um, that I have preview to take to car shows, we have an 06 Ford GT Heritage. It's the Gulf Scheme 06 GT, and I've posted it on Facebook when I've been looking up to take it out to some events. I would really love to make that car mine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, maybe I can work a thing out with my boss. Like, yeah, how do I, you know, can I start a payment plan now of maybe 20 bucks a week or something? We can deduct something. Let's, let's work this out. Let's market this. Um, but that, it's, it's a fun car. It gets a lot of attention. Uh, it's loud because it's the Gulf Colors. Um, but also one of my best, most recent experiences occurred in that car. Um, I, I got to take it out for cars and coffee. Uh, we had uh, two events in the Detroit area. Uh, I was able to take that car out, took it out. And one, one of the things, once again, being an advocate for our sport, um, if, if I'm at the show, I'm opening the doors of these cars because our cars, at the end of the day, the cars should be shared with the public, let people sit in them. So I've got no issue opening the doors and letting, you know, especially kids. Like if I can spark that one love, I do the same thing when I, when I drive across country in my race cars, I'm getting gas. If somebody walks up to me, can I get a picture? No, you can get in the car and take a picture if you want. You don't have to stand outside. And their parents are like, really? I'm like, yeah, if your kid's going to hurt my car, maybe I don't need to race this up a mountain, right? So, uh, but with this Ford GT, uh, and especially with this enthusiast marketing manager job, I'm in, we took the cars out. Um, we finished the event. I went to go get breakfast because you do these cars and coffee pretty early. And we're sitting there eating breakfast and kids are coming and taking pictures, like just driving down the road and they turn around and they see this car sitting there. And I took up, I did the thing. I took up two spots, you know, but it was light. It was early in the morning. There weren't many cars. And one of the kids, he's on the floor laying and taking pictures. Like this guy was going to be the next automotive photographer. He's every angle he could get contorting his body. And we finished up and the, those three of us there were like, we should go out and you know, walk out. I'm like, hey man, you want to sit in the car? And he's like, what? And his eyes just blew up and sat in, you know, took pictures of him in the car. And he, and he you know, was very excited um, to, you know, to take pictures and he went off. And I posted on Facebook, I posted, you know, one of the great things about my job is actually hopefully imparting some of the, the passion I have for the sport. And his mom found me, who happens to be an acquaintance through Facebook of another friend. And his mom was thrilled that his son, uh, that her son uh, basically got to sit in the car, and she sent the screenshot of where he's sending her pictures. Oh my God! Guess what I got to do today? And 
Um, then he went out to look for, a, sadly, he had purchased his dream car sometime prior, about a month and a half or so, and was in an accident. So he lost that car, and he's uh, 18, 19, I believe, somewhere in there. And he was distraught, you know, sad, but this weekend changed it, and the mom was very grateful. And I was, and I was like, no, this is what I love doing. And he went out looking for jobs at a dealership because he wants to get into automotive, which was fantastic, you know. So it's like just those things and that 06 Heritage, I think it's a lovely car. I, I would love to keep it. Um, other car that's in the Ford Performance Garage that my bosses have looked at and said, you're doing what? No, no. So I'm known as the big idea guy because I've got all these crazy ideas that thinking outside the box, I'm usually three zip codes away from the box when I lob ideas in. So we've got one of the Le Mans race cars. It's a show car. It's not powered. makes it easier to push around. And I keep thinking we should power it so I could drive it up and down some of the streets in Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't see anything wrong with it. Down some of the hills, you mean? <laughs> well, you know, that could come next. I'll start small. I'll ask if I can use it for cars and coffee. Right, right. Baby steps. Got yeah. it. <laughs> You're out there, like, creating a pipeline of little racers, little, like, Ford employees, just like... Hey, at this point, we'll take any employees. Uh, the trades, uh, there is a huge deficit of people going to the trades. You'll hear about it, um, especially now when we see the, you know, what's going on with COVID and what's considered essential. A lot of people in the trades right now are those that are actually keeping us going. And, um, you yeah, know, whether I advocate for Ford or another OE, it's just getting people into our industry. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Um, okay, so you're moving to Detroit. Aside from that, what's next? What are you racing next? What are you up to? Well, you know, uh, two months from now, we're supposed to be at Pikes Peak. That got moved to August. Yeah. Um, and in between that, I, I'd hope to get a lot of seat time. One of the fun things I get to do also with this new title is um, I oversee the Ford Performance Racing School for Ford Motor Company. And the Ford Performance Racing School, if you buy a Ford Performance product, it's Shelby GT350, the new GT500. Uh, we've got a couple of the vehicles, a Raptor and so on. We'll invite you to our racing school to learn some of the handling characteristics of the vehicle, learn how to drive your vehicle, and go through some of the, the functions, the modes that the vehicles have. We've got two schools, one's in Utah and one's uh, now in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the best part is I get to go down there and drive these cars for work and take the racing courses and learn from the instructors. And uh, one of the things going back to racing and driving and hopefully, um, don't be close-minded to learning something new. Um, I, I first, uh, first month on the job, I went out to the school to see what it was like they invited me down and uh, basically got to drive and I picked up some tips on braking, uh, how critical braking is. And I really wanted to, you know, now put that to, to the track. And once some tracks open up, we'll get, you know, get some more seat time, but you always have to learn. You always have to evolve. And if you have somebody that has maybe more experience, it's always good to listen. It's always good to listen. Couldn't agree more. That's so cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for spending this time with us today. Tell people where they can find you online. Uh, so Instagram, Cash Sing 70, uh, 78, or on Facebook, Cash Sing. Awesome. This has been a really, really great chat. Thank yes. you. Absolutely. Thanks nope. a lot. No, thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and learned a thing or two from Cash. If you did, we would love to know. The best way to tell us is by sharing the episode. Take a screenshot and post it to Instagram and tag us at Mod Racing. 
MOD is spelled M-O-D-D because it's an acronym for Motorsports and Driver Development. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you want to support the show, please take a minute to leave a rating and review. Thank you for joining us. We will catch you guys next time.